So uh, we're talking about Jonah, and we're talking about how uh, he's a Bible scholar. And uh, one of the messages is, if you study the Bible long enough, God's going to speak to you. And you might not like what he has to say. And this is where you might identify with Jonah. Jonah heard exactly what God wanted him to do. He wanted him to go to Nineveh. And so what did Jonah do? He took off the other way. He wasn't about to go to Nineveh. And you know why? Well, the problem is, let's, you know, if uh, Indiana Jones had a t-shirt with a slogan on it, you know what his t-shirt would say? I hate snakes. That's what his would say. If Jonah had a t-shirt, guess what his would say? I hate Ninevites. That's what would be on his. He just couldn't stand the Ninevites. They were the Hamas of the day, I guess, toward the uh, uh, the Jewish people. And so uh, he didn't want everything to do with them. So he heard what God wanted him to do. And he did just the opposite. Now, as I said, I'm not going to ask for anybody to raise their hands today, but probably a lot of you could identify with Jonah in that. You know what he wants you to do, but maybe you're afraid to do it. Maybe you just uh, don't want to do it, you know, like, uh, but there, you know, just think there are times when you know he wants to forgive and you're not about to forgive that person. There are times whenever you know uh, that you're supposed to be loving certain people and uh, you're going to be saying, well, surely not those people, but uh, there it is in black and white in scripture. And so you know what he wants you to do and you don't do it. Well, that's the spot that Jonah found himself in. And so we see what we're all prone to do just writ large in the story of Jonah. One of the main themes that we see at the beginning, whatever he calls Jonah, Jonah runs. It's clear through the story. As I said, he hates Ninevites. So uh, the problem is God loved the Ninevites and uh, they were going to per- perish eternally if they didn't repent. And so out of love, he sent Jonah. He sent a guy that hated Ninevites to the Ninevites so the Ninevites would have a chance to be saved because they were a people that God loved. And God doesn't like it when people he loves don't love people he loves. That's why he sent Jonah, because he wanted to teach Jonah to love people he hated. This is a major theme. It just shouts through the book of Jonah, and that is that God loves people. And even while Jonah is running, God uses Jonah to bring the sailors on the boat that he was on while he was running uh, into the kingdom of God. Now, there had been a big storm, if you recall. And uh, in fact, as we look at all this in Jonah, we see that uh, Jonah is used so, by God so amazingly that it becomes a model that Jesus refers back to it as a model of what he did for us later on. Jesus is going to use Jonah as an example of what he was going to do for all mankind.
In Luke 11.30, Jesus says, For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to his generation. As Jonah is running, the boat he's on winds up in a terrible storm. And uh, through the casting of lots, God reveals that Jonah is the problem because of his sin. And so he tells them to cast him overboard. Jonah tells the people on the boat to cast him overboard, and that then everything will be okay. And he volunteers to sacrifice himself so that others, all the rest of them, can be saved. Does that sound familiar? That's Jesus in the Old Testament right there. Reluctantly, they did it. Ask God not to hold it against them. They didn't want to murder this man. They didn't want to kill him. But immediately after he's thrown into the sea, the storm stops. They've been saved because they sacrificed Jonah. And immediately he's swallowed by a big fish. And no, it wasn't a whale. It was a fish. And uh, that reminds me of the story, maybe y'all have heard it, maybe not, of uh, uh, a teacher in a class one day uh, was teaching something about biology or something. And she said, and, and by the way, you know, Jonah couldn't have been swallowed by a big fish and stayed in there three days and then come out. And one little girl said, well, yes, he could. It says in the Bible that he did it. And uh, the teacher said, well, this just shows that you can't always believe the Bible. And so the little girl said, well, that's what it says. And she said, Jonah didn't get swallowed. And so the little girl said, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah. And uh, then the teacher said, well, what if Jonah's not in heaven? And the little girl paused a minute and said, well, then when you die, you can ask him. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, anyway, that's what it said. So that's the way it is. You know, that's just the way it is. So uh, he was swallowed by this big fish and uh, he spent three days underwater in the ocean. And then all of a sudden, the fish throws him up on dry land. Boy, God can really do things that are kind of gross sometimes. You know, there's this fish around, all of a sudden the fish is good, blip, and there's Jonah. Probably some Ninevite fisherman there wondering what in the world is going on, you know. But anyway, see, the sign of Jonah is more than uh, just being in the tomb for three days. It also includes the sacrifice of a man who's been identified as a sinner by God himself and salvation coming through that sacrifice. There are two New Testament passages from uh, uh, the pages of this story that come forth so clearly. First, John 3.16, just say it together with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves the world, and he wants all the people of the world to be saved. And that brings us to the second New Testament passage that speaks 
from these pages in 2 Peter 3 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And that's something that's writ large all through the book of Jonah as well. And now here in the third chapter, he calls Jonah a second time. And he's tried his best to run from God to Nineveh, the city that was so bad that God was about to wipe them out like Sodom and Gomorrah because of their evil. And this time Jonah goes and he preaches. And in verse 5, we read this. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. As you read on, you'll see they even put their animals in sackcloth and put ashes on them. And then in verse 10, it says, And God saw their works, that they were turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not. You know, I said at the beginning, the first thing we see in this story, the overarching message is that God cares about people. Look at all the trouble that he went through to get through to Noah. He does the same for you. Some of the dilemmas that you find yourself in are God tapping you on the shoulder, trying to get your full attention. Look at the trouble he went through to get through to the sailors. And then look at all the trouble he took to reach those Ninevites. It's pretty clear from this book and all the rest of the Bible that people are really important to God. And that brings us to you this morning. You know, there's, I heard this story a long, long time ago about a preacher that uh, he had trouble. I don't know if he just preached too long or if he was that boring, but he'd get to the point where he'd look out and he'd see people nodding off to sleep during his message. And it troubled him. And then he was talking with another preacher about it. And he said, well, hey, I've got the answer for you. And this is what you do. When you see people starting to nod off and go to sleep, you just stop whatever you're saying and say, why are we all here? And all of a sudden people are just going to jump up and look around. And uh, so uh, the guy tried it and it worked. It worked. Then he wound up going to a, a mental institution to do a devotional at the mental institution. And these people wound up, uh, they were on their, whatever they were on, and uh, they began just to nod off, not because of his preaching, but just because of their medication. And as they were nodding off, all of a sudden he stopped and he said, why are we all here? And everybody jerked up and looked around. And just as he was about to continue, one of the patients got up and said, Well, preacher, we know why we're all here. We're all here because we're not all there. 
what we're wondering is why are you here? <laughs> so uh, uh, anyway, but it's a question that strikes our hearts. Sometimes whatever we, we just would. Why was I even born? Why am I here? What's my purpose in life? What am I even on this speck of a globe for? And uh, this is uh, what we're going to talk about now. Let me tell you about yourself. Let me tell you the truth about yourself. First of all, no matter who you are, your birth was no mistake. It was no mishap. And your life is no fluke of nature. Your parents may not have planned you, but God did. He was not at all surprised by your birth. In fact, he expected it. He had planned it. Long before you were conceived by your parents, you were conceived in the mind and the heart of God. It's not fate or chance nor luck, nor coincidence that you are breathing and living at this very moment in time. You are alive because God wanted to create you. The Bible says the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. And I've discovered there's some purposes he's going to fulfill, whether I'm walking with him or running from him, just like Jonah. He has you here for a reason, whether you're going to cooperate with him or not. God prescribed every single detail of your body. He deliberately chose your race, the color of your skin, your hair, every other feature. He custom made your body just the way that he wanted it. He also determined the natural talents that you would possess and the uniqueness of your personality. The Bible says, you know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made bit by bit how I was sculpted from nothing into something. Because God made you for a reason, he also decided when you were going to be born and how long you'd live. He planned the days of your life in advance, choosing the exact time of your birth and your death. The Bible says, you saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. That's in Psalm 139, 16. God also planned where you'd be born and where you'd live for his purpose. Your race and nationality are no accident. God left no detail to chance. He planned it all for his purpose. The Bible says, from one man, he made every nation 
and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. You see, nothing in your life is arbitrary. It's all for a purpose. Most amazingly, God decided how you would be born. Regardless of the circumstances of your birth or who your parents are, God had a plan, uh, and that plan was in creating you. It doesn't matter whether your parents were good, bad, indifferent. God knew who those two individuals were and that they possessed exactly the right genetic makeup to create the custom you that he had in mind. They had the DNA God wanted to make you. And while there are illegitimate parents, there are no illegitimate children. Many children are unplanned by their parents, but they are not unplanned by God. God's purpose took into account human error and even sin. God never does anything accidentally, and he never makes mistakes. He has a reason for everything he creates. Every plant, every animal was planned by God. And every person was designed with a purpose in mind. Now, God's motive for creating you was his love. The Bible says, long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love. That's in Ephesians 1, 4. God was thinking of you when he made the world. In fact, that's why he created it. And scientists have discovered that uh, the earth is in such a unique position in the solar system, in the galaxy, and everywhere else it is. The moon and the other planets are all around it in such a way that it's protected from so many of the meteors and showers and asteroids. It's under an umbrella that helps protect earth. God designed this planet's environment so that we could live in it. We're the focus of his love and the most valuable of all his creation. The Bible says God decided to give us life through the word of truth so we might be most important of all the things he made. That's in James 1.18. Mark Twain, pretty good while ago, said, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. And both of these days are as important to God, too. He needed you to be you right now. Don't be looking back and saying, oh, I wish I'd been born back in the 1867s or so, you know. And don't be, don't be, oh, back in the good old days, back in the 50s, you know. Uh, no. His time for you is right now. You were born, and uh, there's the answer to why you were born 
is something that a lot of people struggle with. And they approach it in a lot of different ways. Some people, they spend their whole life looking for the big thing that, uh, that God created them for. What's that big thing that God put me here for? And then they define it instead of checking with him. And that's sad. But uh, it reminds me of a story of a guy that heard that there was a magic stone that would turn anything it touched into gold. And so he started with walk along the beach. And they said it was on this particular beach. And so he'd walk along and he'd see a stone. He'd pick it up and rub it to, on his jacket. Nothing had happened. He'd find another one. He'd rub it. Nothing had happened. And then he became obsessed with this. And he would just, every day he'd be out there grabbing stones and rubbing them and grabbing stones and rubbing them. And one day he got home at the end of the day and he looked where he had hung his jacket. And his jacket was gold. He'd found it and then threw it away. So uh, anyway, so many people go through looking for the big thing and they miss the big thing because it wasn't what God had in mind. It was what they had decided on and what they were trying to impose on God. There's a big difference. Some people, it's their dream. Other people... It's their idea of success. And they never turn to their creator. And they never realize that maybe they've already fulfilled their purpose. Or maybe they're fulfilling it right now. But they sometimes miss it because they're looking in the wrong direction. They're looking at themselves instead of to the Lord. Instead of looking around them. If you're one of those who has struggled with this, I think uh, what I share next will help you because one of the things that is answered clearly in the story of Jonah is why you were born. It's right there in verse 10 where it says they believed God. It doesn't say that they believed in Jonah. It doesn't say they believed in God. It says They believed God. That's it in a nutshell. Jonah winds up being a negative example of this. He believed, obviously, in the existence of God. He just didn't want to accept why he was born. He didn't want to simply believe God. I said at the beginning that he was a student of the Bible The problem is he wanted to be like those supermarket Christians that you see today who want to pick and choose uh, what they're going to accept and what they're going to reject. God created you to be his and your purpose is to be the best you for him that you can be. And you can't do that without consulting with him without putting him first. Many people spend, as I said earlier, their whole lives looking for the big thing when what God, what the Lord wanted from us, why he put us here, is for us to look what he has for us in the moment. Not after I get through this catastrophe, not after God helps me out on this, but in the moment. While you're going through the trouble, 
Uh, in the moment, while you're being blessed, in the moment, that's what counts. He wants you to believe him, trust him, be faithful to him, fellowship with him, lean on him, cooperate with him, obey him, follow him, love him, receive from him, give to him, glorify him, worship him moment by moment every day. Joseph is a tremendous example of this. First, he was Jacob's favorite son. Then he was betrayed by his brothers. Then he was purchased by Potiphar. And then he rose in Potiphar's house. And then he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. And then he was thrown into prison. Then he met a baker uh, and a butler in prison. And the butler forgot about him. Then he stood before Pharaoh. And then he became the prime minister of Egypt. And then he met those brothers that had betrayed him again. And as they're reconciled, God says, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. And then he gave his family a home in Egypt. All of that ended up saving his family and preserving the line of promise Joseph lived out of the statement made by Paul in Romans 8, 28. And we know, notice that, says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. He believed God through the good and through the bad. I'll close with this example. On April 5th, 2013, Rick Warren's life changed. He and his wife, Kay, sensed that something wasn't quite right. Their 27-year-old son, Matthew, had suffered from mental illness all his life. As Rick would say later, he and Kay had done what they could to help their son, including seeking help from the best medical experts and the best therapist they could find. When they went to Matthew's apartment that day, they found it locked and no one came to the door when they knocked. Fearing for the worst, they called the police who entered the apartment and then their fears were confirmed. Their son whom they had loved so much, had taken his own life. And after his son's suicide, Rick stayed out of the pulpit for almost four months. And he returned on the weekend of July the 27th and the 28th. And because Rick is so well known, the event garnered huge uh, media coverage. And Rick and Kay both spoke at Saddleback that morning, thanking them for their love and their support and trying to explain how his Christian faith helped him through this tragedy. Rick said this, God knows what it's like to lose a son. And then he added, when you go through a difficult time, 
you automatically start to try to find an answer. But explanations never comfort. You don't need explanations. You need the presence of God. When the reporter filed her report for the Times Magazine, she ended her article with these words. Then, as the service closed, Rick joined the worship team in singing a favorite evangelical hymn, Blessed Be Your Name. He lifted his Bible above his head and declared boldly to the God that he serves, You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. Only a man with a big God can talk like that. A small God will never do when tragedy strikes. <coughs> so I'll close with the same question that we asked at the beginning. Why were you born? Why are you all here? The reason why is to believe God. Not just to believe in Him, but to believe Him. To believe Him in good times and in bad times. Your purpose is to be the real you for Him right now. You see, it's as you believe that you have His presence. And brothers and sisters in Christ, that is everything. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.